Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. My guest today is the international bestseller, Dorothy Coombson. She started young, she had her first stab at writing a book at 13, and like me, worked on Just 17, amongst many other magazines, before actually publishing her first novel at 30. She has now written 16 Sunday Times bestsellers and is the biggest selling black author of adult fiction in the UK. Not bad for a woman whose debut novel was turned down for, amongst other things, having a black character, but not being about the black experience. I've never met another black person who has exactly the same experiences as me. So I was writing about a character, a made up character. And you see lots of other people writing made up characters and that's apparently the human experience. Um, Her latest, I Know What You've Done, is just out in paperback and has been described as desperate housewives, but darker. It's also completely stuffed with brilliant parts for midlife women. ITV, I'm looking at you. Dorothy joined me from Brighton to talk about feeling like you're enough, 80s TV crushes, the gyne and thyroid hell that gave her constant hot flushes, facing up to grey pubic hair. It's a thing, people. Sorry. And why there's still a lot of work to do when it comes to telling all women's stories. Oh, and why we need to bring back Golden Girls. I'm here for that. And I should say thank you for coming on the shift. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You've been doing it for ages. It's really good. It feels like ages, but we're only in our second year. Just oh, okay. Because you do so many episodes and so many good quality episodes. That's what I think that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's because I love nosing into people's lives. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do some more. I started off doing series of six and now they're 10 because I just, you know. Yeah. And also, I can't say no. I know. That's the thing, isn't it? Say no to people. Yeah. I'm getting better at that. <laughs> Yeah. Is that an age thing, do you think? Yeah, I think it's an age thing and a realising you can't do everything thing as well. There's all these things that people keep asking me to do and I keep wanting to go, yay! And I think, well, when are you going to do that? And you really can't do it, can you? You're just wiping yourself out and you've got to be careful about that, haven't you? Wiping yourself out. Yeah, totally. I don't say no, just no, outright no. I kind of, I keep trying to practice that, but I always end up going, uh, well, I'll see. And then later on going, <laughs> I, I can't. But I don't like disappointing people. That's the problem. So, yeah, I've never liked that, I suppose. I don't I don't suppose anybody likes disappointing other people, do you? I think some people don't care, though. I know. I, I remember saying towards the end of last year, I'm going to go into this year just making statements with confidence and not caring. I love the statements that people make, definitive statements about things. It's like, but that's completely wrong. But they don't seem to care. So I just thought maybe I should try that energy as well. I feel like that about Twitter. Every time I go on Twitter, I, I stay for a bit and then I just think I can't, I haven't got that Twitter energy. I haven't got that. This is what I think. Oh, no. You know, I know. I, come for me. I don't care. Well, this is it. I, I spend a lot of time typing things and then going, yeah, don't say that. Delete, even though I know I'm right. I 
no, I write. Um, I just think <laughs> I don't want to bring that to my door, really. When you're writing the book, do you think about the reader or do you just like, just write? I do think about the reader in the sense of I need to tell the story. So I will think if I was a reader picking this up, I mean, that's that's always my premise with I'm writing a book. It's a book that I would want to read. And if I was a reader picking this up and I've spent my hard-earned eight ninety nine, you know, I've spent mm. some, for some people that's two hours work or like, you know, whatever amount of work, would I be satisfied by the end of the story? I might not like the story, but if I know that the person spent a lot of time and energy getting the story right. So I do think about the reader in that respect, if that makes sense. I do think about the person who is on the other end of the process, not if they're going to like it, because not everybody likes everything you write. And and that's an unfortunate thing. And that's something you have to get used to, I think, realising that not everybody is going to like everything that you produce. But none of them, whether they like it or not, could say she didn't put an effort into it. She didn't try mm. her hardest. She didn't try and tell the best story. She didn't show up with her best writing because that's not true. And I know it's not true. So if someone does say that about my uh, my book, I was thinking, ha, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> one of my friends, when she read one of my books for the first time, she came up to me and my husband and she was like, I can't even look in your face now. The sex scenes were terrible. I can't look at you. I just keep imagining you and you together. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't think about people reading sex scenes either. No, because no, I was just thinking when I was reading, I know what you've done. I was thinking, oh, have the neighbours read this? Oh, God. Do you know what one of my neighbours has? She she really enjoyed it. She said it, she thought it was quite funny, the setting, um, the fact that it was about neighbours. Um, I don't know. But my neighbours are lovely. I have to keep saying that. My neighbours are really lovely and they wouldn't do it anything like what's in my my (laughs) book it's all made up from other people and other areas but um I do know a few people I know from the area they read everything I write because they knew who I was before I moved Mm. into the area and so so I remember talking about something and they went well when you read the ice cream girls and I was like how do you know who I am and they're like yeah we just knew do you like that or is it weird it is weird because it's not like being on telly or stuff. People don't recognise you in the street, do they? But they recognise your name. Yeah, I do very occasionally have people come up to me in the street, very occasionally. And I always feel like I've done something wrong. Yeah. It kind of always takes me back to that growing up in a small town where everybody knew your business, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you kind of like, you know that your mum's going to find out, your dad's going to find out, yeah. or your aunt and uncle are going to find out what you did because and they'll come up to you in the street and go, I know who you are and I know what you've done, um, like the book. Um I do remember one time on publication day, I met my editor in London and we were walking back to the office or to the train station for me. And this lady came up to me, she went, are you Dorothy Coopson? And I was like, maybe, <laughs> I might be, <laughs> And she was like, I saw your face and I've seen your face on the internet and I, I love your books and my cousin loves your books. And so she went to the selfie. It was really weird because I said to my editor, if you weren't here, I was convinced myself that that hadn't happened. I'd convinced myself that I'd imagined the whole thing. It's like I, I imagine a lot of things. Like I was convinced for years that I'd imagined that um, my high school was next door to Bross. <laughs> that Bross moved in next door to my all-girls high school. I convinced myself I'd imagined that and then to, until somebody said to me, do you remember when Bross moved in next door? And I was like, oh, so I didn't imagine it really did happen. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking that things that have happened, I've imagined, actually. Yes, yeah, so it's like your imagination is great, but it's not that great. <laughs> well, I know. It's quite random, isn't it, to think of Bross. I wasn't a Brosset or anything, but 
I knew who they were, obviously. <laughs> she says hastily. Oh, yeah. no, I wasn't, no, I wasn't. All my friends were. All my friends were. They all loved those people. But um, I just found it really weird that, that somebody convinced the biggest boy band to move in next door to a girls' school. Yeah, what was it? Just uh, we're going to go off on a right tangent now. But <laughs> so was it just an ordinary house? Was it like some mega building that had been done? It was up? a really what nice. Was... It was a really nice building. It was a really nice big um, building, and it had grounds and stuff. And so we had assembly pretty much every week. They would say, "Can you stay off their grounds, their land?" Because <laughs> girls were just going in and jumping over the fences and, and creeping into their house. Oh my god, that's such bad planning. Their agent should have really thought about that. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't know who convinced them to actually buy that house it's weird isn't it just weren't thinking straight what who were you into if you weren't a brossette oh I loved tv and I loved books I love reading books I read so many and um I used to love tv and film so yeah that was what I was into I was into reading lots of detective stories and Jackie Collins and Sidney Sheldon Sweet Valley High all of those things I used to go to the library almost every day after school and mm. just devour books and so it's funny actually because I will see something and I'll go oh I read that I remember reading that when I was little I don't remember a lot of what happens I do remember the plots of a lot of things but I um yeah I used to read a lot and I used to watch telly a lot I loved the A-Team that was my favourites uh so was Miami Vice so is that who was on your bedroom wall Oh, I had all sorts of people in my bedroom. Well, I, I can't even tell you now because it's just too cringy. <laughs> oh, go on. I will if you will. <laughs> well, I used to have the A-Team and I used to have my advice people. They used to have, you know, mm. the kid with, with all the TV stuff. So I used to um, cut the things out. One of my favourite programmes ever was Knight Rider, but not, oh, yes. not David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I love the car. So I used to cut out pictures <laughs> of the car and not David Hasselhoff. It's weird, actually, because I didn't have that obsessive thing about people like David Hasselhoff, the star of the show. I always quite liked the sidekick people. But the car was a much better character anyway. Well, it was great, wasn't it? The whole the whole premise of the yeah. show is, is brilliant. I mean, I mean, they were showing them on TV again recently and watching them over. I was just laughing to myself at how brilliant they were. They were so unselfconscious and so over the top. And, you know, and Michael had to be in pretty much every scene, didn't he? Everything had to happen to him. Everything. I remember at the time thinking... Whenever he got involved with a woman, I kept thinking, oh, don't do that, love. You're going to end up dead. And they almost <laughs> almost always did, didn't they? And yeah. that's kind of like, it's, it's quite um, sad now looking back or thinking how disposable the love interests were in most things. And I was, I did notice as a child that the, you fall in love with the main yeah. character and you're that's it. It's not great, is it? Yeah, it's like Bond is the most extreme version of that, really, wasn't it? But then I saw some reviews of the most recent Bond film, which I absolutely loved, basically saying they'd spoiled it because he'd got all emotional. <laughs> oh, how dare he? How dare he? Yeah. How dare he feel? Oh, yeah. it does make you laugh, doesn't it? When people um, kind of put onto something that you didn't see that was, was there, that you just didn't notice or didn't think was a problem. Yeah, it's just not your view. I suppose I never watched Bond for the uh, for the slaughtered love interest. No. Sure. There were always many, many. I know. Of... I know. It's funny, isn't it? You do kind of go, yeah, don't, don't get involved with him. It's kind of... Come away, come away, it's not worth it. <laughs> Do you feel like the narrative, the general narrative is changing? I don't know if it's changing or this smooth focus, I, I don't know, I suppose. That's what I'm trying to say. At the moment, I'm reading books for the Women's Prize. and Yes, congratulations, the best job in the it's world. It's great, isn't it? It's great. And as you know, you get to read lots and lots of books. 
and you kind of see that there's a theme of running through a lot of the books you yeah, don't realize yeah. until you get them all in together and then you kind of read them one after the other you kind of go oh actually there's a theme running through these and some of them better than others and so the narrative doesn't change it's just at certain times there's more emphasis on different things I think and some people do it better and some people can write as it is without diminishing other people I think I think more people are conscious of the need to be better if that makes sense to behave Mm. better to write better to make their words and their stories better in that it doesn't diminish other people it is possible to write stories and stuff and to write stories that are enjoyable and fun and edgy and push boundaries without diminishing whole groups of people I mean you've been doing that your entire writing career do you feel like it's took you a long time to get the credit for that because you've written what 18 yeah I'm writing 18 book 18 at the moment yes have I got credit at the moment (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know I don't sit around feeling resentful about anything I I have to say I I just do what I do and I kind of have to do what I do because I have to write stories I have to write short stories and novellas or whatever and it's something that I'm compelled to do and I love doing but also it was nice to see my stuff out there and to see people appreciating that there are stories that deviate from what became the norm and the norm was very much London focused commercial stories I'm talking about because I write commercial Mm. fiction and I have no problem saying that I don't write literary books and I know that a lot of people look down on commercial books but I love reading them and I love writing them well in the book world but not like in the world world books written by women are looked down on in the Mm. world world you know they're kind of diminished and you'll see a man who writes a very similar book that a woman would write in the commercial world as it would get long listed for the book of prize (laughs) yeah Okay. <laughs> and it gets lots of applause and praise about how it's done this, this, or this. And, you know, I could throw a stone out my window and hit five other women authors who've done something very similar, possibly better, and they wouldn't get half the praise and applause. Because that must have happened to yeah. you as well in your working life yeah. well that yeah <laughs> I saw a cartoon the other day where there was a table full of men and one woman and the man said oh Miss Timmons or whatever it was that's a very good idea would one of the men like to suggest it now yes seen that cartoon. <laughs> yeah and um exactly and that happens a lot to to us as women and to black people people of color we're almost used to being dismissed and overlooked doesn't mean it's right or that we're happy about it or we kind of accept it but it is one of those things and I suppose as time's gone on it's been nice to see other people coming up as it were and seeing other people on the bestseller lists and short lists or prizes that aren't just exclusively literary books and telling ordinary stories it's nice to see the world opening up I mean let's not pretend it's it's anywhere near parity or even close to where it should be but it's better I hope it continues to get better I hope it's not because it comes in cycles you see it all the time you see People mm-hmm. have an interest in this and it becomes almost like a genre. Black people or people of colour writing commercial books, romance books or this. It becomes, oh, look, there's a genre of people who aren't white writing stuff. And we'll focus on that for a while. And we won't focus on it to the point where we push the books as much as we can. We'll just go, oh, yes, look, look who we're publishing. And then not put anything behind it. And then, oh, it doesn't sell. Mm. Yeah, let's forget about that genre, even though yeah. it's not a genre. Just keep going until it's just integrated into all the genres. Yes, until everyone's writing everything. Yeah, I suppose that does worry me a bit like and it's exactly the same with the conversation on menopause you know two years ago you couldn't sell a book on menopause now they're, now you can't move for them and then it will be gone Yeah, you know and that's I suppose that's what worries me it's so funny isn't it the whole menopause thing because 
I know so many people who've been talking about it for a long time, particularly the ones who went into early, early menopause because of various health issues or chemotherapy or whatever. And now, you know, they're forgotten in that conversation, the conversation they were trying to start, to start years ago. And, and now it's, it's everywhere. I don't know, maybe because it's affecting them now. I didn't realise that menopause kind of had so many so many different effects on you kind of I thought it was just your period stopped and and yeah you might have had a hot flush yeah well exactly but see I've got um a thyroid condition so I've had hot flushes for a long time oh god poor thing yeah it took me ages for the doctors to take me seriously Mm. I've had hot hot flushes and stuff for years and years and then wasn't recently until I spoke to a gynecologist about something else and she said oh, you've probably been in perimenopause for 10, 15 years. I was like, what? Really? And she said, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. She said that would explain a lot of things because, yeah, I've never had easy periods. And I thought as I get older, it would, it would sort itself out. And it's not really. Mm. It's kind of just getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> like when you, you said it took you ages for doctors to take you seriously. And then, you know, you saw a gynecologist and she just said, oh, that will explain that. Yeah. And it's just like, where do you even go? With that, where do you even start? I know. Well, it, for for me, it's been a long old slog. I was very fortunate in that I could afford to eventually go and pay to see a mm. endocrinologist, and I went to one appointment with him and took all my blood test results. I mean, I'd been to see one before. I'd saved up and gone to see one before. And he basically sat there and patronised me. He asked me what I did. And I said, I wrote books. And, he, and then he told me all about the books he'd written. Oh, God. And then sent me away with a flea in my ear, basically. I mean, and you paid for that I pleasure, paid for that well. pleasure. Yeah, and I had to travel to Eastbourne, which is quite far away from here, um, from Brighton, for the pleasure of it. And so I kind of gave up. And my doctor was just having none of it, even though... The test results had shown that my thyroid was on its way out. So I went to see this guy and I took all the test results with him. I'd had all the blood test results I'd had over the years. And he, he sat there, he went through them all and he said to me, so have you seen anybody about this? And I said, well, yes. Da, da, da. And he said, and they still didn't do anything with these blood test results. I said, yeah. And he went, okay, well, usually we treat people if they have two or three of these signs and you've got all three. So you probably should have been on medication a while back. Oh, she said, Jesus. we'll try you on this. And so I'd, I almost burst into tears. In fact, I did burst into tears. Yeah, of relief. relief. Absolute relief that somebody was taking me seriously. Every morning I would get up, drag myself out of bed. My whole body hurt. I couldn't step on my feet. The bottom of my feet hurt. Oh, my God. And, you know, your joints hurt. You look terrible. You look exhausted all the time. You're cold. So many symptoms. And I remember trying to explain this to the doctor and they were having none of it. They were just not in- interested. Did the gynecologist think that had triggered your perimenopause or... It just kind of blurred into one, effectively. It kind of blurred into one, and I saw her for a very specific thing. I've got all, the, all of it, fibroids and all that business. So I saw her about oh, that. Oh, God, yeah. So yeah, she... Um, too, yeah. So she... Oh, you got fibroids as well? Not anymore, but yeah, I did. That was how I got help for perimenopause, because I was seeing the gynecologist about bleeding buckets of blood yeah. every six, eight weeks. I know. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The last time I went, I went for a scan, and it had shrunk a little bit, but... I had everything else. I had endometriosis, fibroids, polyps, polycystic ovaries. It's like like a part oh of my in, my, in my body. Everyone's invited. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I mean, it's like we're laughing, but the truth is, this is my experience, it's your experience. I hear this kind of thing so often. And like you said, it's like you were lucky because you could afford to pay to see oh, an expert. And I was the same, you know, at the time that I finally got it dealt with, I was editing Red. A, I had a health editor who could rec- say, oh, this gynecologist is good. Why don't you go and see her? But also I could afford to pay for it. And it's like so many people aren't in that situation. Like you said, for some people buying a book is two hours wages. Yes, exactly. It's like, and yeah, and we mustn't forget that. Like I say, I was very fortunate I was able to afford that. It's important to say that when we criticise, and I do often criticise the NHS response to menopause, it's like the NHS is brilliant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, ways about it. It's just that doctors and nurses are generally not trained. No. in menopause and the number of people that you come across with medical training who don't know about menopause is really pretty shocking. Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, the statistics on black mothers who die in childbirth or, you know, mm. it's it's shocking and no one wants to really do anything about it. I love the NHS for being there and for being in existence, but I also feel like I'm able to criticise it for that. And it's like, you know, anybody else, I think, in your life, you can love them, but you can still criticise them or you can still... <laughs> That's true. You can still explain to them how they can improve I mean apart from me obviously because I'm perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah me too yeah <laughs> how has your um experience of aging been so far you're 50 aren't you I'm just 50 yes how is it oh it's good I suppose you know because you're still here another year another cycle yeah, another yeah. turn around the sun and you're still here aren't you and that's that's always good as but in my book it's weird actually because I remember recently saying to someone um one of the good things about the pandemic if I'm allowed to say the p word is I don't see people as much and <laughs> yeah, sorry. In, the, yeah. in the sense of as I've got older I've got worse and worse with just saying whatever's in my head and sometimes you shouldn't say things in polite company <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't really, you should kind of keep it in. I look back and when I was younger, I had so much confidence and I would just write, write to people and go, oh, do you, have, do you have a job? And then that kind of gets beaten out of you, doesn't it? As time goes on, you get lots of rejections and you get people trying to hold you back and it balances itself out. But you have to keep going. With me, as I've said more than once, I was rejected so many times for my books. So many people said no to my first book, which was The Cupid Effect. And Did they give you a reason? Oh, yeah, lots of reasons lots of the reasons it was like um it was about a black woman but not the black experience that was loads of things a lot of them just weren't interested but a lot of people who did give feedback were quite nasty with it so you were allowed to write a black character i use the word allowed advisedly as long as that black character was having a black experience not just yeah. a life experience i don't know what the black experience is because you know i've never met another black person who has exactly the same experiences as me so i was writing about a character a made-up character and you'd see lots of other people writing made up characters and that's apparently the human experience um yeah i I mean i've rejected loads for lots of different reasons and it's not like it stops happening as you get older or the more books you write people still reject you for different sorts of reasons but i suppose i have got more it's actually more i just don't care anymore about stuff i don't i don't you kind of just
just go, oh, I can't, I can't even bother to, to get worked up about this. I mean, there's certain things I do get worked up about, but I very rarely take that to the internet because, you know, my husband married me, so he gets to hear it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's his actual job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other day he said something about, oh, when I write my book. And I was like, what do you mean what book? He's like, about living with a writer. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, He's going to get killed off in the next book. Uh, I wouldn't kill my husband off. He's one of the few people I, I wouldn't kill off no matter what he says to me. Unless obviously he leaves me, but he's not going to do that. So, which is fine. <laughs> and also, I, I think it's sad as well as you get older because you do realise that people who you thought were on the same path and same beliefs and systems as you, they really show themselves to not be. And that's one of the things that that came up from the pandemic a lot, I thought. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? If this time two years ago, anybody had told us that this is where we would be, just wouldn't believe it. wouldn't believe it. I remember I saw a meme the other day that I sent to my sister, which said, so in conclusion, nobody in uh, 2015 answered the question, where do you see yourself in five years correctly? (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> <laughs> none of us did did we uh, yeah in the spare room I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know, working from home uh, adopting two crazy dogs we got two yorkshire terriers literally before lockdown the first lockdown happened we um, we were meant to be getting them in the april and but we could see where things were going so my husband went up and got them and brought them home and it was like oh so now we've got these two dogs i've never been a fan of dogs i have to say and i know everyone will hate me for saying that but oh. but you got them anyway I mean, yeah. we just sort of like try and mix up because it's just been such a sad time with sort of bereavements and stuff it's been such a sad time for such a long time i thought let's change just try and change things the energy with like you know puppy madness mm. and certainly did that I've learned a lot I didn't realize that Yorkshire Terriers were so needy you know after this interview I'll go downstairs and they'll act as though they haven't seen me in six years yeah <laughs> like, oh you're back hi 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 it's one way to feel loved I, I I, absolutely but you know when it's uh, three o'clock in the morning oh god there's somebody tweeted the other day about their cats. They felt the same relief when the cat slept through the night as they had with a toddler. I swear. And I've never had a toddler, but I feel like that about the cat. We've oh, got two of them. The bigger one, she doesn't bark to go out. She doesn't bark for food. But the little one, who's very cute, she just, she wants anything. She's like, I want food. She just comes standing, I want food. Bark, 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 until we get her food. Then she'll go and stand in front of my husband. She'll stand in front of him and bark at him until he takes her for a walk. <laughs> she'll go stand by the back door and bark until we let her out for a wee. She's just like, she won't stop. And then in the middle of the night, she'll go, I want to go out for a wee. So one o'clock, say, she'll bark. And then three o'clock, she'll go, oh, so what are you doing? You want to come and talk to me? <laughs> and so at one point, my husband was sleeping on the sofa every night with the dogs. So it's like, this isn't, this isn't this right. This is not right. <laughs> not Uh-oh. right. Well, you and I are both those people the Pope doesn't approve of. Oh, God, yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, you've rattled your cage. <laughs> Just just give people a break. And literally, what is it to him? What is it to him? Yeah, childless man. Well, yeah, yeah. are you... By choice. Are, are people asking you to babysit all the time? Are people asking you to dog sit all the time? So what is it to you? <laughs> I love that your dogs have a starring role. Well, and I know what you did. I know, yeah. I know. They had to make an appearance, bless them. Well, my dogs are called Fufu and Jalof, which is um, two Ghanaian dishes. And in the book, they're called Yam and Okra, which is another yes, two. Equally brilliant. I I know, but I did like, yeah, I did like putting them in the book because they are very much similar to to my my dogs. Omnipresent. Yeah. Your dogs are allowed upstairs, though? No. 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 They they bark until we come down. Yeah, no, I I couldn't have that. No, I couldn't. (laughs) 
you've written a really brilliant array of midlife characters, I think, in I Know What You've Done. There's so many female characters who were like in their 40s and 50s and, and 60s. Did you set out to do that or did you just write? I just wrote, but a lot of my books, a lot of my characters, you can see, I know this is on podcast, but a lot of my characters in the books behind me, the covers behind me, they kind of are similar ages to me. So they kind of... Oh, so they've grown up with they, you. They kind of grown up with me. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't really have the experience of being in my thirties now in this day and age. So yeah. it's harder, that's not impossible, but it's harder to write it. So, and I like, to, I want to read books about people sort of similar ages than, as me. Obviously, I'm nothing like any of the characters in that book. Of course apart not. Apart from having the two <laughs> Yorkshire Terriers. But um, no, I just, I just wrote. And it is mentioned a couple of times, that, you know, particularly for Bryony, who kind of feels like her life has been unfulfilled yeah. because she married this guy who she loved. And she loved him because he would take charge. And as time's gone on, she's oh. realised that she's just been sold a dud. Um, yeah, we can't spoil her. Uh, no, you do that really well. And Priscilla as well, another woman who's in her 50s, who's kind of been there, done that, but also not downtrodden. She's kind of very much in charge of her own destiny. And again, can't spoil her that, but, you know, yeah. she has an exciting type of life. And yeah, but without spoiling, I just want to thank you so much for mentioning, mentioning her grey and black pubic hair. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read a book, a novel, where anybody's actually ever referred to that. I was like, yes. But it does, doesn't it? It goes great down down there. Yeah, of course. Yes. So, um, yeah. (laughs) That's quite funny. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I thought, I thought you guys mentioned the sex and stuff, but no, okay. Well, yeah, no, she has pretty good sex yeah, I know. as well. It really struck me when I was reading it. It's not the thrust of the, sorry, pun not intended, of the story at all. But when I was interviewing women for The Shift, so many of the same concerns, like, you know, they're bored and they want something for some of them, want something for them finally, and they have like variable body image and there's all that you should have grown out of that and you haven't. And I really love when Bryony said that um, Alana, who's another character of that sort of age like Priscilla is doing her 50s so much better than me because I think I really feel conscious of that when I talk about how much I do love being in my 50s it's not like an obligation it's just I personally like being in my 50s it doesn't mean you have to you you have to enjoy it or want to or not want to change yourself or whatever but yes I I wanted to write about women who were comfortable with who they were and and for Bryony her not doing her 50s as well is based mainly on her marriage and her very dodgy husband but she's kind of finding herself through the course of the book because she's finding out who she is and yeah and I wanted to write about people who for body image isn't and their existence isn't in question as it were who they are isn't in question it's just everything else around them you know with the attempted murder on their street that affects them rather than how they are constantly not good enough I want to write books about women Mm -hmm. who are good enough and it's it's everyone else who has an issue with them rather than them having a constant issue with themselves Mm -hmm. there are lots of other books like that out there and I do enjoy reading them and people are very welcome to write them I try not to write them as much if that makes sense totally yeah totally yeah so I like my cast of characters my older characters um because they are all a bit older as well so I was kind of quite a way through when I suddenly realized that that was the baseline yeah actually that it wasn't just like quite often you read a book where there's one slung in who's in her 50s 
and he's having a hard a time. Measure, yeah, yeah. having a hard time, yeah. and, and everyone feels a bit piteous towards her. They're kind of like, oh, let's pity her because she's a bit downtrodden, and that's not what my books are about. I want them to be about women who are older and fine, and everything else is is what's wrong, not them. Yeah. Do you feel like the representation of older women and older black women and older women of colour has got better in the media and on TV and movies or is there like work to do or both? I think there's work to do. Uh, it's getting better. I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything that I've seen recently that seems to be real representation. I can't think of anything that, that seems to be real representation for me, but it can always get better. There's this whole wave and this whole movement of people who think that the world is far too diverse and opened up and there's far too much equality out there we need to we need to sort of stamp on it and it's wrong and, and how dare you kind of care about anybody who isn't you but there isn't there isn't anywhere near the representation that there should be and this is one of the things I try and tell people about writing your story is just as important as someone else's that's why more people should be published as many people as possible should be published because we need to hear other stories we need to hear not the same story all the time we need to hear from people who live other lives and it's really sad that it's only one at a time almost it's like one in one out almost yeah we've got one yeah exactly and I know lots of people have heard over the years oh we've got Dorothy Coombson we don't need you or there's Dorothy Coombson's doing that and it's like other people could tell stories other black women could write stories like I write stories other women of color can write stories that are similar or different the world is full of different people so it should be full of these types of stories and not just that you know older women or disabled people all sorts of things there are so many people out there with stories to tell that we aren't hearing and it's sad it's not fair I don't think you know they work just as hard as anybody else and they try as hard. And I know I've been fortunate, but as I said, I was fortunate. I say fortunate rather than lucky because lucky sounds like it was just handed to me and it was never, nothing has ever been handed mm-hmm. to me. I've been fortunate in that I've encountered people at certain points who want to publish what I write and people have bought it. With regards to kind of other people, you just kind of miss an editor. And what happened is one editor will leave a publishing house and, and then that kind of starts a whole spike. Mm-hmm of everyone moving and leaving and going elsewhere. And I was fortunate that with my third book, an editor had come over to cover maternity leave. And when my book was sent to her, she really liked it. And so she bought it. And that was, you know, the stars aligned. But lots of other people rejected that book for various reasons. And, you know, was being manipulative and whatever this, this and this about the book. Would that be the one that sold half a million copies? That's the one, yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, good timing and all of that as well. But I'll tell you, the first time that I ever interview a middle-aged white man who tells me he's fortunate, I'm going to be ringing a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It doesn't happen a lot, does it? It doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't think I can think of a single time. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe I'm a bit more self-aware, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, more self-awareness? I mean, I was very fortunate that I, I happened to cross paths with her that point yeah maybe I shouldn't say unfortunate maybe I should I've forgotten that energy haven't I that I'm just going to be bold yeah it's like one of my favorite things ever that Cheryl Strayed says is I work damn hard to get this lucky and I think there's you know yeah there's timing and all of that and totally the timing was great that she'd just gone there but you know absolutely Okay, I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask and I'm going to release you what's your emotional age probably about 13 (laughs) 
Why 13? Oh, I don't know. I, I just remember writing my first book when I was 13. And sometimes I feel like I'm always writing my first book and I'm discovering the whole writing process for the first time. Uh, people say to me, oh, well, how do you write a book? And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I always feel like I'm doing it for the first time every time I do it, which is great. It's exciting. Recommend a book. What's a book that you often buy other people that you kind of really love? The dictionary. I love it. I, love it. <laughs> I do love a good dictionary. I have got... I feel I've got about seven or eight dictionaries and about seven thesauruses in my house. Was it thesaurus I? Really? Yeah, I love them. I love I love dictionaries, and I obviously need them for my job. But I have a lot of dictionaries in this house. Yes. Is one dictionary particularly good? Have you got like a particular make? Well, like? I've got the Collins, and I've also got the Oxford Dictionary, and they're big ones. The Collins thesaurus is over there on the other side of my office. But they're big ones and they sit there and I sort of like, boom, they're like big tomes. I love opening them and I love shutting them. The the sound they make is great. So, yeah. That's so interesting. Yes. That's so interesting. What advice would you give younger women? Live it up. Live it up. Hopefully you won't wait until like my age to start saying the things that you need to say. I know um, there's that very famous Helen Mirren quote of, I wish I'd told more people to, to do one. (laughs) <laughs> when I was yes, <laughs> yeah. in my life but yeah oh live it up and enjoy yourself and be your own best friend actually be your own best friend because we are the only people we spend every single second of the day with and we need to be nice to ourselves we wouldn't treat other people how we treat ourselves sometimes so be your own best friend and live it up that's excellent who is your old bird role model oh maybe the mum from uh Desmond's because she was cool oh she was really cool she was cool and she uh, kind of you can see the long-suffering look on her face a lot of the time when she was trying to get everyone to, to do the best they could. So, yeah, probably her. Cool. Okay. What's your superpower? Oh, my superpower. Well, I think I've got two. One used to be my memory. That's kind of on the line <laughs> with, with menopause. It's kind of all over the place. Oh, God, that and COVID. Forget oh, that. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think my other superpower is that I inspire people to do stuff to follow their heart or to write books or to encourage people so yeah maybe that's I like to support people so I think that's it that's nice and lastly how many fucks do you give (laughs) Uh, right now none None whatsoever. I know I should really give more, but as I said to you before, you look around and the world is not in a great place. And so now I need to kind of focus on trying to help make the world a better place. But everything else, no, none. None whatsoever. How many Fs do you give? Oh, do you know what? Less than I used to and more than I should, (laughs) I think. I'm a lot better about not caring about what people think of me. I probably spent about the first... 45 years of my life worrying about that so I know sometimes it still creeps in doesn't it you kind of go oh oh no it's such a touch and then I think actually no no I don't care anymore and who's your old bird role model oh god so many my old bird role model from previous episodes of the shift would be Isabella Allende oh yeah have you heard that one no I haven't oh add it to your list of things she's absolutely brilliant I want to be her when I grow up and probably this week Betty White Oh, see, Betty White. I forgot about Betty. I love Betty White. Do you know, I used to love Golden Girls. Oh, it's brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely hilarious. It was so clever. Right, okay. I'm, we're going to go before you ask me any more okay. questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's lovely talking to you. Thank you so All much. Right, yeah, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, Please do rate, review and follow 
because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40, and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.